I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam video podcast. Max and Dog and I are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker. And if all goes well, this will be the last time that the glare is on the window as we get new blinds next week. It's very exciting. Which is also good because this morning I found out my bathtub is leaking into my kitchen. So one step forward, one step back. Very excited to have Kim Katanzarite on the program today. She is the author of They Will Be Coming For Us, which comes out on June 1st. Kim, her fiction and poetry have appeared in literary magazines like the Evansville Review, Emory's Journal, and Sixfold. Uh, most recently, she's had flash fiction that won the first prize in the Fish Publishing Contest. And she's had two uh, earlier manuscripts that if you listen to the program, you know, uh, first books are always like the fifth book that you've written. Um, she had two manuscripts that were shortlisted for the Faulkner Wisdom Competition, and she won the South Carolina Short Story Contest twice. She's a freelance editor by day, and she's worked with places like Writer's Digest Books, Random House, Meredith Corporation, 10 Speed Press, and she's edited lots of indie authors. She is also instructor, also an instructor for the Writer's Digest University since 2015, where she teaches three copy editing courses. And I'm not sure, but I may have actually taken a course from her. Um, when I got certified as a copy editor. 
Uh, before we get to her, before we get to talk about the book, there's some business that we have to handle. As you know, The Jam comes out every Wednesday. So make sure that you tell your friends about us and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also pop on over to our Facebook page, leave us a review there, or you can go to thewritersjam.com and leave us a testimonial through the contact page. Bunch of stuff you can do while you're at the site. You can check out this video podcast series, which comes out basically every Monday and Friday, um, although don't hold me to that. You can buy any books of the people who've been on the program by clicking on our bookshop link. You can check out book reviews of people who've been on the program and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And you can support the entire Solid Listen podcast network by clicking on that Patreon button. And for just a couple bucks a month, you get free episodes, commercial free episodes, uh, special happy hours, uh, bonus content from everybody on the network, all kinds of good stuff, just a couple bucks. Now, it's been a morning, like I said, uh, I had to, I bought this house, I love the house, I love the library. If you're watching, you can see it. If you aren't watching, you've heard me talk about it. And it, this has been my solace, like in this sort of madness of the pandemic, getting this place and, and having a little room to call my own, so to speak, has been something that has given me a great amount of um, comfort. It's helped my anxiety. The downside of that, if you own a house, you know, uh, there's always something wrong. So as I get these things finished and I think, oh, okay, I get to take a break from everything, then this other thing happens. And one of the really fascinating things is finding out like what people will and won't fix. So I had a plumber here like last week because there were some little bubbles on the ceiling and it looked like maybe water was coming in. And they went in and they said, okay, it's not really a big deal. It's not leaking that bad. Um, you have to caulk your bathtub. And I said, okay, great. Uh, when will you do that? And they were like, yeah, we don't, we don't caulk. Um, we can't, we can't get insured for that because if we don't do it right and something happens, the insurance companies didn't want to pay for it anymore. So like, we just don't offer it. Literally a plumber whose job is to make sure things don't leak was like, yeah, there's a leak, but you're going to have to go fix it. Uh, I tried to fix it. Apparently I did not do a great job fixing it or for all I know, it's something else. Like it's the bubbles down a different place. So it looks like maybe it's not the thing that I caught. But this has just been one of these really interesting things about home ownership that I was not expecting, uh, that you would literally have contractors in here whose job it is to do a thing, who would say like, yeah, that's broken. That's a thing we should fix. Um, good luck. <laughs> so that's sort of how things are going in the bunker right now. We will have blinds here in the next week. That's good, assuming they don't just show up and give them to me and go, well, normally we hang them, but we've decided not to. Uh, but I may have a new kitchen ceiling and some pipes. So we'll see how that all goes. Um, but that's all what's happening here. Um, I'm really excited for you to hear my conversation with Kim today because it's way more relaxing than pipes bursting in your house. Um, I really appreciate you guys stopping by the bunker, hang out with Max and I for just a little bit. Uh, I hope your day is going well. I hope that all of your pipes are not leaking. I hope you're taking care of yourself. Hope you're taking care of each other. Uh, and I hope that you will sit back and enjoy my conversation with Kim. So the book uh, is about, the protagonist is Svetlana Peterman. She is a Russian adoptee who was adopted along with her sister, Helena, who's not blood related to her. 
by American humanitarians who purposely adopted two teenagers because they wanted to keep them from aging out of the orphanage system and ending up on the streets. So they live in a small town in Pennsylvania and the town is known for just one thing and that is a UFO sighting that happened in the 1960s. Is this real? And this is um, somewhat based on, on reality a little bit. That's okay, that's good enough. Cause I live in yeah. Pennsylvania. So I'm like, well, I need to go to this town clearly. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a town. Uh, um, well, anyway, let me just, okay. <laughs> So anyway, each um, summer they have a UFO festival and people come from miles around dressed as their favorite aliens. And then they just do festival stuff like eating, drinking, but they also shoot up a rocket into the sky and sure. stuff like that. Of course they do. And, <laughs> and at the start of the book, um, Svetlana's parents are leaving for a humanitarian, well, they've left for another humanitarian um, effort. They're going uh, to India and they're gonna be gone for months. And Helena comes to her and says, I'm going back to Russia. I never fit in in America and I, I don't like it. And Svetlana thinks she's crazy because she loves it and she never wants to go back to Russia. So she doesn't really take her seriously because they're taking college courses and they work at an ice cream shop to make money. And, and she just doesn't think that Helena has the money to travel home and then find a place to live because she'll totally be on her own. But uh, the next morning she wakes up and Helena is gone and she didn't even say goodbye, she just left. And Svetlana goes to work at the ice cream shop and it's the day of the UFO festival and it's very busy and crowded and she um, is distraught. She's just a mess and she opens the store up and this guy walks in that she met a couple of days before and his name is Andrew Jovian and he's an astronomer. He just graduated grad school and um, he sees the situation and he tells her, well, it's gonna be super busy today. I can work with you if you want. So he ends up working with her all day. They go out to dinner that night. They quickly fall in love. And in a few months they get married. And Svetlana is very happy because she's married and she has a new family, except that the family is very strange. And they are, she chalks it up to the fact that they are wealthy and pretty eccentric. Mm -hmm. And they are preoccupied, of course, with the night sky because they own the company Starbright International, which is, <laughs> an, aer this is going. <laughs> an aerospace company <laughs> that sometimes does projects with NASA. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> yes. Um, so they're preoccupied with the night sky and they're preoccupied with family lineage. And now she's part of the family. So they're preoccupied with her. And they're very, they're strange in the way that they're just like always around her. They always want to know what she's doing. They're always calling her and saying, let's go for coffee. And, and meanwhile, she's trying to get a job. And it, it seems like they're trying to push her away from getting a job. And um, Andrew has an uncle that like says weird things and seems to be able to read her mind sometimes. <laughs> and the mother, who's very stern and intimidating, basically tells her, family lineage is of the utmost importance in my family. 
and you are expected to do your duty and extend the family line, which really is not something you should say to a woman these days <laughs> at all. And um, so at first, uh, Svetlana takes it as just rudeness and um, annoyance, but soon she realizes that it goes much deeper than that and that she's at the center of it. <laughs> and thus kicks off the story about what is going on in her life. Exactly. <laughs> so is this your first book? This is my first book that I'm getting published. I've sure. written many other <laughs> books. <laughs> One of the jokes on the show is always like, it takes 10 years to write your first book. And it's always like the fifth book you've written. <laughs> I think it was my sixth. Yeah. I think it, it was my sixth. And, yeah. and I probably wouldn't even have decided to publish it, except that I actually think there's a market for this one. And in the past, I never felt the confidence that that the others had a market. Okay, so we're gonna delve into this because you you got a really like you're an editor, like you've been editing for right. I mean for Years. a long time. Yeah, a like long time. Is, yeah, we don't do math on this program, but like Good. more than a year. Yeah, like <laughs> you've been editing for more than a year, uh, and like you've done books and things like that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I edit. Um, well, I started um, editing a long time ago for uh, Better Homes and Gardens, and I was doing all nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And then I um, started editing for Writer's Digest and doing all these writing craft books, which I loved because I was learning all yeah. the time when I was working, you know, so it was great. I got the Writer's Digest uh, personal essay book somewhere on one of these shelves. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. Everybody I, I love the I love those books. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has at least one. There's yeah. millions of them. Yeah. Um, and then I, um, as I got into it more and more, I started working with like independent authors. And, and also I just started getting more fiction just over the years. And, and um, I realized at some point that I have a very good handle on developmental editing, just like comes natural naturally yeah. to me i probably because i'm a writer myself and i've been you know studying the craft and everything for so long but um yeah i work with a lot of authors did you so did you come to writing first yes you come, so you were a writer first and then moved into editing like i wanted to be a writer and i and i wanted to have a job that would help me practice my yeah. writing and i thought i'll be an editor <laughs> It's such an interest. Like I talk about this on the show all the time. Like writing and editing. Like I think if you're external to this career, you're like, well, they must they go hand in hand. They're completely different skill sets that require a different mind. Like as an editor, yes, you have to think not what would I do, but like what are they trying to do? What is the voice that they have? Like where are they going? Like and and helping them discover themselves. Like it's not just going in and correcting. Like well, this is wrong. Right. Exactly. You have to really just have like a sense of of what they were trying to do. Yeah. And then like a lot of it is just giving like uh, tips like, OK, I read this paragraph and, and you lost me. I just you've got to. Yeah. What is what is your main point or, yeah. or whatever? It's just like people can't see it themselves and you're the one that's telling them where they've gone astray. Yeah. 
And like over the years, I've learned like I wanted to be a writer. Like I was a professional writer. Like I got some books, but like I've realized my strength is actually in editing. Like I'm a much better editor. Um, and I seem to have an ability to navigate between like, well, I'm going to rewrite these three paragraphs to give you some momentum, like rewrite them if you need to. But like, I'm going to like just say what I'm going to like, here's what I think needs to happen along yeah. with like, OK, now if you see this, here's all those things that I think you should do now. Ignore everything I wrote and write it in your own way. And like, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, yeah. You give them the idea and you expect them to run with it. Basically. Yeah. And yeah. like, don't like when I rewrite stuff, like don't put that in the book because that's my voice. I'm just, it's easier for me to show you what I think you are trying to do. Yes. Yeah. It's so hard. Right. Because like when you first start editing, you're like, well, I don't want to change anybody's words. And then you do it for a while and you're like, I'm going to change all of your words. Yep. 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 <laughs> it's actually, that's the point when you get good at it, you know, when you're not afraid to yeah. give your opinion and, and say, um, well, you were on to something here. You really need to keep going deeper. Yeah stuff like that yeah and like i know as an editor i get really excited when people find that groove like when they're lost and you sort of come in with a flashlight and you're like here's the way and then you just see them like oh my god that's yes. the way yeah. and you're like you're like yeah <laughs> the other thing is because i'm a writer i've had that experience <laughs> where somebody gave that to me yeah so like I'm I want people to do that for me. So yeah. then it makes me feel like okay, well this person's hiring me and they must want me to give them my thoughts. Yeah. So I'm going to. Sometimes <laughs> you know it's going to hurt a little. Yeah. And they probably don't, you know, most people when they get a manuscript that's been edited, they have a little freak out first. Yeah. Because they're like, "Oh my god, it's a disaster or whatever." Yeah. Anyway, that's what I do. When I get mine back, I'm like, oh my God, it's a disaster. And I'm then I come, and then <laughs> yeah. I have to like take a little time off. Yeah. And then I come back and I go, what was I freaking out about? It's like, you know, a few things, whatever. Yeah. But, I got um, uh, I got Hemingway's quote somewhere back here. Uh, the first draft of everything is shit. And I tell folks like writing yeah. isn't the first draft. Writing is the 10th draft. Anybody can write a first draft. A first draft is easy. I mean, easy, right? It's fun too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Cause you're like, fun. I'm nailing this. Like, this, yes, this yes. is what's happening. Like, everything's amazing. And then, like, you read it later and you're like, what? Happened? What? Yeah. <laughs> None of this makes it like, I just, one, I know for me, one of the, I always tell people, like, the story is the summary. Whatever you've summarized in your story is usually the thing that's most interesting and the hardest thing to write, which is why you just summarize it. So I'm always looking for those like yeah. jumps where people are like, and then some things happened. I'm like, hang on. What yep. are the things that happened? Because I feel like that's, it's like psychology. Like that's probably where the good stuff is. <laughs> yes. Especially if, if it's like a memoir and that's where they, 100%. they do not want to go there. And you're yeah. like, uh, like back to that. Yeah. You have to go there. Yeah. Oh, everybody only cares about that. That's the thing that they care about. That thing so, you're avoiding. Yeah. And so, um, w when I ran the writing collective back in Indiana with my partners, we published books on our own and like we, we did lots of collective books and uh, literary journals and things like that. And we always told people we did professionalized amateurism. All of us were professional writers, but we we did self-publishing like we, you know, we would get people to submit essays and things like that around topics and we'd publish books on that. And we hired a designer and we were all editors. So we brought a level of professionalism. Oh, to that's this. great. And, yeah. yeah. And we were trying to explain to people like self-publishing doesn't mean 
like anything else, there's lots of flavors of it. But like these days, the technologies allow you to very easily build the kinds of stuff that you want to build. And if you're a professional, you can do it as good as anybody else. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Definitely. I agree with that. And you're doing like, you've not only written a little bit about this, but you're publishing your book. Exactly. And um, I mean, I like that. I like that, you know, I, I'm an editor, so I know what to do and everything. But I also realize that when you're traditionally published, there's so many experts for like marketing and promotion. And when you do self-publishing, you've got to become that expert. Yeah. And it's not easy. And you're never really gonna make it to expert level. You're just right. gonna try and do your best. Right. And um, that's what I'm dealing with now. Like that, like the manuscript part, I understand, I can do it, I know what I have to do. But the marketing part, it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's our, our, our friend, Jane Friedman. I actually hired her uh, when uh, we did the second edition of our book. First edition was done by McGraw-Hill. Um, and the second one, we got the rights back and we published it ourselves. I hired her to help us develop the marketing campaign around it. Like, oh, great. So she didn't do the marketing, but we just sat down and like went through like, okay, what are the ways to get the bookstores? What are the ways you get reviews? Like, what are the, like, should we be blogging in other places? And she literally helped us craft that because I'm like, well, she knows yes. literally her whole life is that stuff. So why would I try like the money? What we didn't spend a lot, but like the money we spent was well worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's something you should do. I mean, you've got to spend the money in the places that you really need the help. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's such a fascinating um, the self-publishing thing. There's a great book called Write, Publish, Repeat. Um, and it's, Oh, I've heard about that. I give it every time I have a self-published person on the show. I'm like, you need to read this book. Oh, I will. I definitely will. Because the way in which they run their business, they were lawyers and they decided they wanted to be writers and they treated their writing process like TV pilot season. 
So they would write all these first chapters of all these different kinds of weird ass books and whatever would get people to buy the bundle, right? Like, so if you pay $12.99, you'll get the chapter every month. They said, if we sell 200 of these, we'll do the book. Yeah. And so they were like, yeah, I mean, like, it's very easy to look at that and say, well, that's not writing. But as a writer, I'm like, holy shit, you came up with 10 ideas, wrote 10 chapters, like you got feedback yeah. from your fans and then wrote the series and that was how you grew your business. You can't tell me that's any different than how the big five operates. It's exactly how the big five operates. Oh my gosh, on a different <laughs> scale, yeah. yeah. And they did it themselves and you know, eventually quit their jobs as lawyers and they, you know, they wrote this book and they're like, our wives thought we were crazy. <laughs> right like <laughs> but it's that thing you were talking about like they were like how do we make sure that like the writing we're doing is reaching our audience and yeah. you know it's a lot of work to do that it's the biggest challenge i mean think about it nobody knows well i mean it depends on on you know what you have out there already and what sure. you're doing but otherwise i mean i keep trying to remind myself kim uh, there's a handful of people who have read your book. There's yeah. not a lot of people out there who know who you are, you know? And it's like, if they don't know about it, they can't decide yeah. whether they even want to try it. So you have to be really patient. And this whole social media thing is right. just a nightmare for me because I never used to do it at all, which <laughs> is what I hear people say all the time. Yeah. But I mean, in a way it's kind of fun. It is kind of fun, but you can really, I see now how you can really get sucked into just scrolling all yeah. the time. 100%. The the interesting thing about what they do is that for them, it was right every month, like always have new projects coming out. Oh yes. Find yeah. out which one of the things are that your audience is willing to pay for. Right. And then write those things. And then you begin to develop, like you just think of the, a constant TV pilot season with right. what you're doing. And I was like, well, that makes that actually like they put it in the TV framework. And I'm like, well, that actually makes sense. And then sort of weirdly, as I've interviewed TV and, and, and uh, film writers who have transitioned into books, they've all said working in TV and film made writing so much easier because it's such a visual scene medium where there's a framework, right? There's yes. every, every seven to 12 minutes, there's a commercial. Like you can't say like, well, this scene needs to be 15 minutes. Right, right. The network's like, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. They're very strict about all that kind yeah. of writing, yes. And so it just like, it is like, as writers have struggled to figure out what does this self-publishing look like? I'm like, oh, I think TV might've figured this out, mm -hmm. right? Well, definitely. And you do see like a lot of self-publishers are the ones that have the series with, you know, 10 yes. different books in it. And, and, you know, somebody discovers book one and, they, and if they're hooked, they're hooked for 10 books. I yeah. mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Or they get book seven and they're like, holy shit, there's six books before this. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to go back and read all of those. Exactly. And I mean, that's what they say now. The best thing you can do to advertise your book is to write another one and have that one come out. Yeah. So it's like you, you really just have to keep writing and writing. And as you said, you have this is your sixth book and this is the first one you're publishing. Like you literally already have a back catalog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want everyone to see those, especially the early ones. <laughs> this is what I always tell writers. If somebody will pay for it, let them see it. Okay. 
that, already that sounds, but that sounds a little scary to me. I don't know. You know, it might like tarnish the other books. <laughs> <laughs> well, the nice thing is you can go back and re-edit them. Nobody's seen them. So you can go back and fix them. I know. Have you ever tried to re-edit something that was really old, though? I mean, like I've tried to and yeah. I just lose steam on it really fast. I not only I've never opened a book that has been published that I've written. I find no, there's no reason for me to ever look at any of that because all I'll do is be mortified by. Oh, and you'll book. say like, oh, why did I? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I got Any, it. Anytime somebody like, you know, it's been a while since our last book came out, but for a while, like when people would talk about the book, I was always like, yeah, this makes me wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. You know, like when you write it, all you think is like, I know all the things that we could never really fix. Like I know the stuff that like, I don't think is a good and ours was nonfiction. It's like, well, you're sort of stuck with what yeah. happened. And there's yeah. only so many ways you can do that. But I always see the flaws in what we've done. And I'm never like, oh, brilliance. <laughs> you need to think of it as something that went through you. And it's not really yours anymore. It's like out there now. Oh, 100%. Like, I tell yeah. people all the time, I don't care what readers think. Because there's a difference between the art of what you make and the product that exists which yeah. is another reason I don't open it. What, what I'm always most interested in is whether somebody likes something or not, I'm interested in what happened in their lives that made them interact with that thing in that way and have that feeling. Like what oh. is their story? Because yeah. to me, literature is a conduit for a conversation. It's not, I don't need somebody who's not a writer to tell me what they think about my writing. I mean, it's fine that they do. I just don't care. Yeah. Um, I am well, wildly interested in their story though. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, how are you, then you don't like look at any reviews? No, God, no, don't do that. No, no, please don't ever do that. Absolutely not. Get a friend to scan those for you. Yeah, I don't know, because then I'd be bothering my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. It's like, I really don't want to read anything really mean because it will, I know it, it'll yeah. hurt. It'll hurt a lot. And even if I like had a stunning, wonderful review, right. I would only be thinking about that horrible yes. one. Yes, it's what writers do. I'm gonna, yeah. it's why I don't pick up the book and be like, oh shit, that sentence is terrible. Like, and then I won't yeah. sleep for a week. Like, how did you write that? You're not a professional. You're the worst writer ever. <laughs> oh my God, it's the inner critic, but you yeah. have to tell your inner critic to calm down. Well, what I learned at Wired was, you know, I, I called it my fuck you coffee. Every day I'd come in and I'd get coffee and I'd open up my computer and I would read my email from the stuff that I had written yesterday. And I would have 50 to 100 emails and most of it would be like, fuck you. I hate you. Like your writing's terrible. You're awful. Oh my God. And I replied to everybody, like always very nicely, like, thanks for reading. Like, I appreciate it. Sorry, you didn't like it, whatever. And probably 90% of the time I'd get horrified emails from people who would tell me like, I was having a bad morning or like my father's sick and like this just was up and I just unloaded like so I actually look at those kinds of things on the internet now very differently I'm like oh this person is not mad at me like something that's why I'm interested in like what is it that happened in your life that made you interact with this thing in that way okay, okay. like that like that story I'm like well that's you know, I know I got a bunch of readers at Wired because I'd see them signing up for like my newsletter at Wired, like after that interaction, I'm like, oh, they're horrified and now want to support what I do. 
Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it was, I mean, also I'm a white man on the internet. So like, I suspect that my interactions are different than almost everybody else's because I'm yeah. not dealing with misogyny and racism and like there, nobody was sending me dick pics at Wired. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank goodness, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it is like the self-publishing world, I think particularly for um, like when you make that decision to do that, I just think is such a powerful tool. It is. And, you know, you feel so helpless, helpless when you're, it's like you go from, most people try to get uh, an agent first. They don't just usually, I, I mean, most people don't usually say, okay, I'm just going to self-publish immediately. Yeah. You know, they're like, I want to try to get traditionally published. I mean, unless it's a very specific kind of book and you know, you're going to self-publish it immediately. But um you know, you go from querying and feeling bad a lot of the time. Yeah, like because, all the time, basically. Like all the time, basically. <laughs> yeah. And you, and these days you don't even get answers from queries or you get a thank you, but no, thank you. This is a form letter type yeah. of thing, which also makes you feel bad because everybody else talks about how they had a really nice note from the editor. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I never got that. And then you go to, okay, I'm going to self-publish and suddenly you're moving, you yeah. know, like it's moving forward and you're so excited and you're like, I got a cover and yeah. I got a review done by a professional and it was good, you know, yeah. and you, start, you can feel good about yourself again and your writing and your book. And, and you get to control it, right? Like, and you can hard. control it, yes. But like, I know when our book came out, like John and I, like we fought about the cover with McGraw Hill and I was ready to walk away. I'm like, mm -hmm. we, I didn't spend all this time writing this thing to have a science book cover be yeah. the cover of our narrative nonfiction book. Right, right? exactly. Like, it is nice to be able to control the aesthetic and figure out what editors you want to work with. And like, how do I actually want to frame this marketing? Because that's, it is, that's the art. Like, it's nice if people buy the book, but also you want them to buy it because of your vision, not because yes. they got sold a bill. Exactly. And, you know, I think it would be really upsetting if they picked a title that you didn't really like or a cover that you didn't really like and you really, there's not much you could do about it. And that would, that would really be upsetting. And also... Yeah. They might also want you to rewrite the book in a huge way. Yeah. And a lot of people have to do that. And yeah. you know, they, they're, you know, it's still their writing and everything, which is great. But, um, you know, they have a lot of influence on the writers and tell them what to do. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is, uh, I think self-publishing and like indie publishing and small presses are really great when you're sort of, and I don't know if they will be coming for us as cross genre, but like, it is like it must be right like because i feel like most people that end up in that realm are like well these are three things that go together and like the big yep. five are like we are not designed to do sci-fi horror rom-com and you're like not that that's what yours is but it's like but, right but there is an audience of like weirdos that like that stuff i know because i wrote a book about it <laughs> right like and i didn't just do it to do it like i did it because there i've seen other people do this um, yes, because they want to know, like when you have an idea, they want to know how they're going to sell it and they want to know right away. And <laughs> that's what the agent is looking for, too. Yeah. So that's why you have to know, like, really strongly 
what you've got and what you're going to label it yeah. so that you can sell it. You're the first one to sell it, you know, to the agent. And then yeah. the agent can say, oh, I can do this with this or somebody would love this. This editor that editor that I know would love this. And then they sell the idea to the editor. Yeah. It's but wild. yeah, it's it, has to, it has to fit in the category. It's why, and we're, this is how we're going to end. And I don't, you may not like this, but I thought it was utterly charming. Like, it's why when I was like, well, we're going to start by talking about what the book's about. And you're like, well, I'm going to talk for three minutes about what it is, which is the antithesis of what they tell you to do in a query letter, right? Like, you need to be able to do it in a sentence and say, this book is this. And my response to you was like, yeah, great. Like, yeah. Like, because there's not one way to talk about books, right? Like, there, it's, I, we could probably sit down and come up with a marketing thing. But yeah. that's not for you what the book is about. And like, right. The, the people that feel that are like, oh, well, shit. Yeah, I want to read that. You know, like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like with the elevator pitch, you're supposed to do it in like three sentences, yeah. which is incredibly hard. It's kind of like writing a haiku or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't think like that, and if if like the world you're creating is you know if you're world building and they're like yeah like the interesting part about this we talked about whitney hill like she has this entire world that she's created and the books that happen in that have through lines but like you read that series because of the world yeah right? and so like that's not an elevator pitch like you can't star wars isn't an elevator pitch like right. you know there's 50 million shows and movies about it it needs setup it yeah. needs a little bit of setup to to like you know hook the, mm -hmm. the possible reader so yeah it's it is why i love having people from such different backgrounds publishing backgrounds on the show because one the regular people don't need to know about this because it's not really something they work like you don't go to the bookstore and you're like i want to get a self-published book um but it is the books are so different, right? Like in the, in the ways in which the people tell stories is so different. Like it, I just love the fact that we live in a time where people can build their own stuff and they don't just have to go through the keyhole. That's very small yeah. and limits yeah. the kinds of stories that are there. It's great. It's opened up such opportunity for everybody. Yeah. And it's so did I, so I lied. This is the last thing. Did you try to, did you query your book first or did you? I did. To... Yes, I did. I um, queried for, uh, I don't know how long it was, but it, it was at least. It felt like forever. It felt like forever. <laughs> it was at least 50 or a hundred agents, which probably is not a lot compared to what other people do, but I only got one response. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then it was a no. And I was just like, you know what? I can't wait two to three more years to find out yeah. if I'm going to get an agent. And, you know, people that don't know the industry, you know, you hear one out of a hundred and like people who are not in the industry would be like, well, that doesn't sound like a very good rate, which is not, yeah. but also yeah. like, you're not going to get a response from agents if it's a multi-genre query, because they're not they're not looking for a tiny publisher they're trying to figure out can i place this in some right so like we value like as a writer you value the responses because i got a 40 percent response rate from agents for my book which has which never got picked up like and i had Ooh. long letters from agents that are like this book is great it just it doesn't fit right now um and i told folks like all i learned from that is what i already knew about the book 
right? Like oh. how you learn from the querying process is like, oh yeah, the big publishing houses don't want a multi-genre. It has no bearing on whether the book is good or not. It has right. a bearing on can the book be marketed in a mass way. Right. right. You know, there's something else you can do too, is you can enter some contests that yes. read like the first three chapters. Yeah. And um, places like um, some of those contests, they have the judges give you feedback. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you get strong feedback, then you know you're doing it right. Yeah. I mean, for me, the query process really was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, they, they've told me exactly what I knew about the book. And that gave me yeah. confidence to know, like, yep. I'm going to do this in the way that I want to do it and not this other, right? I'm sure. And exactly. You have that same kinds of thing. So it's, yes. why, it's why I love having self-published people on here to sort of pull that veil back and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of shit going on here, <laughs> right? <laughs> With is. this, like, this isn't just like, I've decided to write a book and I'm going to publish it. It's like, no, that's not really right. what self-publishing uh, in a professionalized way looks like anymore. No, you are a miniature publisher. <laughs> You're still doing everything yeah. that they do. Author, publisher, marketer, CFO, everything. all of the things. Uh, so this has been lovely. This is actually way longer than I normally talk, but you are utterly charming. Uh, they will be coming for us is out June 1st. And where can people get it? They can get it on Amazon right now. Um, I'm also going to be set up with Ingram Spark. So hopefully um, in, it'll be in all the places. Bookstores. I hope yeah, so. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's good. We use, I've used Lulu. That's Lulu and Ingram Spark are the two things. Like you're using the real, like you're, that's a great, they're great. Yeah. They do international bookstores. So um, yeah. And it gets you in the libraries and all that kind of stuff. Like they're wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Libraries are very important. A lot of people don't know that, but yeah. Well, that is wonderful. I am really excited to get the book and read it. Um, and I, it's, it's been such a lovely conversation. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. That was Kim Catanza Wright. Her book, They Will Be Coming For Us, comes out on June 1st. Before we get out of here, just a couple reminders. If you like what you heard, do us those two favors that I talked about at the top of the program. Tell your friends about us and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, don't forget to check out the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, including the flagship Mother Mass Sleepwood Podcast with our host, the Solid Listen Podcast Queen, Molly McLear. Don't forget, we got video podcasts coming out on the Solid Listen Network YouTube channel, basically doing those every Monday and Friday as they come about. You can also catch the audio version wherever you listen to your podcast. And the jam is now out on Wednesdays. So make sure you get yourself subscribed so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.